official K1 podcast, K1 Battlecast. Oh, the Slugfest! You'll get news, fight reviews, and fighter interviews. Oh, the Battlecast! And now, your hosts, Michael Shamero and Jonathan Shea. It's good night, Irene! Yes, welcome to K1 Battlecast, the official podcast of K1. I'm Michael Chevello, down under in Australia and up in Tokyo, Japan. It's me, Jonathan Shear. Jonathan, good day to you, my friend. And uh, I've good got to day. ask you off the, off the bat here because yes. we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago. New Year in Japan, the ET Happy of the New Year, sober, by the way. Happy New Year, the ET of the sober noodle. Did you break your noodle? Oh, that sounds bad, doesn't it? That sounds weird. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. Did, sorry if there's any young kids hey, listening. You know, Did you yeah. break your sober noodle, Jonathan? Okay. Uh, yes. And this is, of course, referring to the idea that if your soba noodle breaks, that it uh, is a a portent of bad luck. Uh, you know what? I have to say, this time I spent extra care being sure to chew my noodles because we established that it's okay to do so. 2024, my year, Michael. But uh, how about yourself? Down in Australia, uh, being Italian, I had a bowl of spaghetti I did break the spaghetti noodle, but I don't believe the bad luck pertains to Italians and spaghetti, so I should be safe, Jonathan. But knock on wood, if anything should happen to me, uh, blame the spaghetti. That's all I'll say. All right. Well, um, hopefully your Italian culture will protect you from the <laughs> I've got my, my little good luck ornaments hanging around my neck that'll, that'll protect me. What an episode we have this week because... We're going to be talking to Stefan Lecco all the way from Germany. Stefan, a legend of K1, and it is an interview you do not want to miss. Stefan does not mince his words. Uh, he's got some, some great recollections, great memories, and uh, has a thing or two to say about a couple of people in K1 history. But before that, it's time to jump at the DeLorean, fire up the flux capacitor. And Jonathan, we are going to go back to 2005 and revisit an event known as the Leco Buster. We're going back. We're going all the way back. This week on K1 Rewind, we go back to November 19, 2005, and the undercard of the K1 World Grand Prix. It's Bada Hari versus Stefan Leco at the Tokyo Dome in front of 58,213 fans. I was one of them, sitting there ringside for what was an epic night. The night that Semi Schultz became the K1 World Grand Prix champion, but the night was stolen by Bada Hurry. Let me tell you about it. Stefan Leko came into this match having beaten Bada in their previous encounter in Amsterdam just five months earlier. Uh, he'd done so by spinning back kick knockout in just one minute and 44 seconds of the first round. Leko's win in Amsterdam snapped a seven-fight win streak for Bada Hurry, which had seen Bada beaten the likes of Gokhan Saki, uh, Domagoj Oskic, Gary Turner of the UK, Vitaly Akramento, and Anthony Hardonk. So Bada had beaten some very good opponents in Europe. Leko at the time had a terrific streak himself coming to Tokyo. He'd won eight fights in a row. He hadn't been beaten in three years, and he had wins in that streak over some real superstars like Peter Ertz for the second time, Mike Bernardo and Francisco Filio. 
In November 2005, Leko was regarded as one of the true top flight guys in all of K1. Now, this was Bada's first ever K1 fight, his first time in Japan. And let me tell you, he wasn't the Bada hurry we'd come to know three years later. He was a skinny Bada. He hadn't put on the muscle yet. And he was cocky as hell. I mean, Bada was so cocky back then, he was almost hard to be around. But more on that a little later. This is a really good, close fight between Bada and Stefan Leko. It's the length and speed of Bada Hari and the accuracy and precision of Leko. Both men get their licks in on each other. Hari uses his reach well, not allowing Leko to get inside the phone booth and land his right cross. There are a couple of times, however, when Leko does get inside and land the power hand. And when he does, we do see Hari retreat and cover up. Bada throws many spinning attacks. And if I remember correctly, um, I was struck by the commentator's curse because the spinning attacks weren't working for Bada. And I said that he should stop throwing them and concentrate on the basics. Well, the very next moment, boom, it's a spinning technique from Hari that produces arguably the single greatest knockout in kickboxing history. It happens at one minute and 30 seconds in the second round, and it is glorious. It's awesome. It's absolutely insane. Bada Hari throws a spinning heel kick to perfection. I mean, Jean-Claude Van Damme could not have choreographed a better spinning heel kick. Hari's leg is at full extension. He's got the full weight of his power behind this kick. And the heel careens into Leko's neck on the right side. Leko falls backwards like a detonated skyscraper. The referee accounts, gets to the count of five, but there's no need for it. it it's, Leko looks like he's dead. I mean, this is as gruesome a knockout as you'll ever see. Now, let me tell you about the bus ride on the way back to the hotel. Bardo was on a high. I was on the bus sitting next to Ray Seffo, Peter Ertz, Jerome LeBanner, and Ernesto Hoost. We're all on the bus together. This is how K1 used to roll, folks. Although the guys would get in the ring and destroy each other, I mean destroy each other, outside the ring, they were friends. They'd meet in the lobby of the hotel for coffees. They'd go out partying together in Rapongi, go out for a drink, hit the town. Uh, they'd be there to help each other out. It was all business in the ring. It was friendship outside the ring. So they'd share a bus together. And on the bus, on the big TV screen, would be playing the Fuji TV network replay of the K1 for that night. And the guys would be watching it and having a laugh and hanging shit on each other and, and just enjoying the moment. So here was this young cocky Hari in his first ever bus ride. And he went around to each of these legends one by one. And I remember he came up to Ray first because Ray was sitting next to me. And he said, hey, hey, Ray Seffo. How old are you? And Ray said he was, you know, 30, whatever. And Butter's like, oh man, you're too old. You're an old man. I'm going to knock you out. Ray's like, all right, brother, whatever. Take a seat. Butter doesn't take a seat. He goes up to Peter Ertz. Hey, Peter, how old are you? Peter answers and Butter's the same reaction. Oh, you're an old man, Peter. I'm going to knock you out. Doesn't stop. Goes to Ernesto Hoost. Says the same thing. Goes to Jerome LeBanner. Says the same thing. He went to all the legends on the bus, this 20-year-old, cocky, skinny, Dutch-Moroccan kid, and told them one by one he was going to knock them out. All these legends 
were patient. They smiled at Barter. They told him patiently, hey, kid, watch your mouth and take a seat. That was my introduction to Barter Hurry. That was the first time I'd met Barter Hurry. That was the first time that most of the world had met Barter Hurry. What an introduction to the watching world by knocking out Stefan Leko with the Leko Buster, as it came to be known. Uh, the greatest kickboxing knockout, arguably, of all time. Hari would go on to get humbled by Peter Graham in Auckland. We'll talk about that in the future, where the Rolling Thunder broke his jaw in, in, in three or four places. He would go on to become a, a two-time runner-up in the K1 World Grand Prix. Uh, he'd never capture the crown, but that is where it all started for Bada Hari in November 2005 against Stefan Leko. And uh, right now, Jonathan, why don't we go to our interview with Stefan Leko, because he will talk about the Leko Buster. He'll talk about fighting Bada Hari not once but twice, and uh, he's going to talk about a hell of a lot more. So uh, let's go now to our superstar interview. Here is Stefan Leko. Okay, now on K1 Battlecast, we head over to Germany to speak to a legend of K1. It is Stefan Leko. Stefan, great to be here with you. Great to be too. How are you, brother? I am good, brother. It's so good to hear your voice after a very long time. For those of you K1 newcomers who don't know Stefan Leko, he's a former yeah. K1 European Grand Prix champion, a K1 Dream champion, and a two-time K1 World Grand Prix Las Vegas champion, K1 World Grand Prix 2001 third-place winner, and also one of the only men in history to ever stop Peter Ertz twice. It's great to have you here, brother. I want to talk about your K1 Dream Tournament win in 1991. You defeated Philip Gomez, Cyril Abidi, and Samir Benazouz in the final yes, in yes. Nagoya. Can you tell me about that tournament, Stefan? Yeah, the first fight also, I was injured in the in the first round against Philip Gomez. Um, I was blocked his low kick and um, I have I have seen like Peter Arts in my fight, in the first fight. And uh, I thought maybe I will... Uh, I will not, uh, I cannot fight the second fight on a tournament, but uh, the Japanese want me in the final, you know, and they let me fight. That's why I win also second fight against Chiril Abedi and then finally um, final fight against uh, Samir Benazouz in the final. Was good uh, experience for me also. But <clears throat> the tournament in, in the Switzerland, 98, this was for me biggest experience. This was also, also, Hardest tournament uh, in my career, I think, uh, because uh, I have the uh, cat on my eye in the first round, and uh, and uh, I do second second to uh, last two fights. Uh, uh, I win by KO, and that was for me the biggest experience in my career. The tournament. So this 98. was uh, yeah, this was in Zurich, Switzerland. It was the K one yes, fight yes. ninety eight. You beat Peter Mostorovich in the first quarterfinals. Yes. Ray Hoffman of England in the semifinals, and then the Dutchman Rob Van Esdonk in the final. You knocked out yes. Van Esdonk and you knocked out Hoffman. It was a, an amazing win. Yes, for me, biggest experience because uh, I have to really fight in this tournament. I have no, I have no easy fights there. Like. I mean, in Vegas, uh, opponents was good, but uh, the, the the they have they all of them have hard fights and uh, have easy way to come to the final and win the tournament, you know. But in Switzerland, I have I have to fight really. I was really first first fight was four round with extra round, no? 
Second fight was KO and third fight KO against Rupert Lesnar. And that's, that's for, that was for me the biggest experience of my life, really, this, it, this it, tournament. It, it was amazing because within two years, you won two K1 tournaments, being the Dream Tournament in 99, <clears throat> the uh, <clears throat> European Tournament in, uh, in 98. In 2001, you competed in the K1 World Grand Prix. It was an amazing event at the Tokyo Dome, 65,000 people, a very powerful yeah. lineup. You lost to Ernesto Hoost in the quarterfinal, but then Ernesto was injured and couldn't continue. So you came back for the semifinal and fought against Mark Hunt. Tell me, first of all, about your fight with Ernesto in the quarterfinal of the 2001 K1 World Grand Prix. Actually, it was funny, funny, funny tournament because um, after Ernesto, I I thought I'm I'm finished, you know, and I go I eat something and uh, I put my bandage down and I was ready to go back to hotel, you know, <laughs> and uh, and I think it was Kenny, my Kenny, my said, hey Stefan, you have to fight. So what? Yeah, uh, Ernesto is injured. You have to fight, and, and I put the, the old bandage on my hand and the hand gloves, and I go fight against Mark Hunt, right? It was it was so shocked for me in this in this moment, you know. But uh, in, in finally, my good fight against Hunt. Hunt knock um, he knock the uh, banner in the first fight out, and uh, I make a three round against Hunt. It was also a good experience. You had two fights against Mark Hunt, of course. You fought him the following year in the K1 World yes. Grand Prix. You lost to him yes. by knockout. I, I want to ask you, how hard does Mark Hunt hit? Because we all hear the Mark. stories of Mark being one of the hardest hitters in kickboxing history. This is true. He can take punch, which nobody can take. He, 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 he swallow all, all, all. It doesn't matter how you get him. He swallow everything, you know. It just don't just go don't go down. And um, when he uh, when he knocked me out second fight, I give him red straight. He take him and give me a left hook, and I go down. I, I couldn't get up again. It was um, Mark Hunt is for me one of the biggest puncher in Kevin Wine series before. Let me compare him then to another big puncher, Ray Sefo, who you fought as well. In comparison, how hard does Ray Sefo punch compared to Mark Hunt? The both, the both somewhat. The both, really, the both hard punch and and the both can take the punch. Uh, they're like animals. You know? <laughs> they're really hard guys. Do you I remember much I'm, about your win over Ray Sefo in 2006 in Osaka? You beat him by an extra round decision. Tell me about that win. Yeah, this was um, a tactic, you know, and um, I don't, don't want to, the um, Kohamas tell me before, I shall not go fight against uh, Ray Sefo to, to take the punch. And, um, and that's why I move a lot and uh, make my points. Actually, it wasn't boring fight, you know. But that's what, that was way how I, how I can win this fight against Ray. Because uh, if I go fight against Ray, I, maybe I should lose. That's why uh, we fight on point against Ray. And that's why we win also. Stefan, you always did remarkably well against hard-punching, hard-kicking fighters, even though you were one of the smaller fighters in stature. I mean, as I said, you beat Peter Ertz, you beat Ray Sefo, you beat Mighty Mo. 
So you know, you fought Mark Hunt twice and took Mark Hunt to a, to a to a very uh, good decision win as well. You gave him a tough test. You also beat Mike Bernardo in two thousand and three by decision. And yes. Mike Bernardo was was a furious boxer. What was that experience like in that fight when you beat Mike Bernardo in Basel, Switzerland in two thousand and three? Yeah, actually, actually, I was used I used to to fight against uh, heavy guys. You know, I was always ninety five kg and. Uh, all narrow fighter was 120, like Lebana or Bernardo was also 110 kg. Uh, Peter, everybody was taller than me and, and stronger, you know. And that's why um, I train a lot of cardio and uh, I run a lot and uh, I made my condition because if you lightly, you have to have good condition to make pressure to the, to the big guys, you know, because the big guys doesn't have so much area. You know what I mean? Right. You, you yeah. fought. You fought the powerful Kyokushin superstar Francisco Filio, also in two thousand and three exactly, in Osaka. Exactly what I say. And you yeah. beat him exactly, by decision. Exactly what I say. Over it's pressure. If you if you lightly, you have a lot of condition. We make big pressure, and then big guys they can they can go with, they can go with me with my pressure. You know, that's why um, it was for me actually easy to fight against big guys always. Yeah, you always had speed. Especially you had I had problem against guys. Yes, yeah, exact speed and speed and if if you if you if you attack the, the, the your opponents, you you always don't get any punches back. You know that's why it was always that's why my tactic to have good condition, uh, very good train for the fight, and give my give everything what I have. After you lost to Mark Hunt, yeah. After you lost to Mark Hunt in two thousand and two, you went on one of the greatest runs. Of your career, you had a win over Peter Ertz, then over Great Kusatsu, then over Mike Bernardo, then Francisco Filio, then Sebastian van der Musenberg, then Kazunari Murakami, then Florian Ogunde, and then a win over Bada Hari. What was the question? Uh, I'm going to say it was one of the greatest points of your career. The win over Bada Hari in 2005, I know it wasn't K1, it was at its showtime in Amsterdam. But uh, that was an amazing win because at the time, Bada was strong. He was coming up quickly and, and you knocked him out in one round. What do you remember about the fight with Bada in Amsterdam? Well, it was, uh, it was a fast fight. You know, he attacked me and uh, he, he risked too much and uh, he gets some uh, spinning back kick in, in the lever and uh, he go down. And the uh, second fight in Japan, what I lost against, uh, that fight, I was also better, and uh, I win almost almost the fight. But uh, doesn't I don't care? Uh, no, 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 not I don't care. <laughs> I don't be careful in, in the last round of the fight, and uh, and he punched me with this uh, turn. To how how is the name? Turn, the the turn spinning hook kick. kick. Spinning hook kick, exactly. To, yeah. to my chin and uh, go down. It was the baddest KO in my career, you know. Well, I want to talk to you about that because I always tell people that for me, one of the greatest knockouts in history was when Bada knocked you out in, in Tokyo yes, with the spinning hook yes, kick. Yes. It was something like we see in a Van Damme movie. It was that type of yeah. crazy kick. Uh, but exactly. I thought I thought you were dead after it, Stefan. You were out cold. I thought you died in the ring. How badly injured were you from that knockout? Actually, not nothing. Really? I was... I, I go down and I get up I, later. I, I can't remember anything. I remember, I think, uh, 
first uh, two hours after right i can remember something even then i i thought i'm i'm in, I'm in vegas i don't know where i am i don't know <laughs> how, how is my name i don't know nothing you know what i mean i was it's sort of really big but it was for me it wasn't that bad because if you don't know nothing you you feel anything you know you know you Stefan, you yeah you you were there from early on in k1 i think you had your first k1 fight against sadu kyatsongrit back in 1997 exactly. in fukuoka if i yes. remember how exactly, did yeah. how did you see k1 change from when you started fighting in k1 in 1997 to around you know 2006 2007 in that 10 year period how did k1 change well, I don't, I don't know really. The change, the getting always better. You know, people have more possibility, have better training, and the the the, more, the old world getting small. You know, and okay, one change a lot, but then when when they begin to changing the what's actually last K one two thousand ten, it doesn't continue. You know, right? I think uh, I think. Uh, uh, glory now you can compare to to all k1 fights well there you have it a big thank you to stefan leko for joining k1 battlecast all the way from germany always great to hear from the legendary stefan leko jonathan yes and you can catch that full interview next week in our bonus episode we hope you will enjoy that now it's time to go to our listener mailbag and we have a question michael today our question is from lyon france it is from jean-luc he writes was K1 the peak of kickboxing history? Oh, Jean-Luc, uh, this is an easy question. Easy. Yes. That's the <laughs> simple answer. Yes, a resounding yes. There's no other organization, past or present, who achieved what K1 did, who commercialized the sport, who catapulted it into the mainstream media, who created a brand known worldwide, a brand that attracted huge corporate sponsors. Remember back in the day, Jonathan, they had the likes of, uh, I think, Sapporo Beer, uh, a big tire company, Nissan Noodles. They had energy drinks. Uh, they had black, black and black chewing gum. Uh, they had so many big corporate sponsors back in the day. Even aesthetic companies that would uh, make your skin look glowing. Oh yes, those white skin whitening uh, creams the the women love over there in Japan. The men too, I should say. But you know, <laughs> these huge corporate sponsors, although other organisations have attracted corporate sponsors. None of them have done so to the extent that K1 attracted them uh, back in the day. There's also no other organization who ever drew every single best heavyweight and middleweight fighter on the planet to compete under one banner, under one set of rules. Yes, the likes of Glory or maybe one have attracted some fine fighters, but neither can say that they have attracted every single best fighter in a division under their under their banner, under their brand at one time. K1 did that. During the heady days of K1 Max and K1 Heavyweights, every one of the best heavyweights on the planet and every one of the best middleweights on the planet was signed to K1. There is no promotion past or present who has topped K1's production or regular attendance figures. I mean, 2002 K1 World Grand Prix, 72,500 people. K1 World Grand Prix 2001, 65,000 plus people. Uh, K1 Grand Prix uh, before that, you know, regularly topping over 55,000 people. No one's been able to do that. 
and across the world from Japan to Korea to Taiwan, Hong Kong, Australia, New Zealand, Holland, France, Switzerland, Poland, Romania, Hungary, USA, no one has come close to doing an international calendar like K1 did back in the day. So Jean-Luc, again, to answer your question, very simply, yes, K1 was the peak of kickboxing history. Folks, if you want to ask me a question or Jonathan, find us on X, formerly Twitter, K1 Battlecast. Also find the K1 Battlecast group on Facebook. Ask your questions there. We'll endeavor to answer them on our upcoming episodes of K1 Battlecast. That's all for today's episode of K1 Battlecast. We hope to see you here each and every Friday. Please check out our official X account and Facebook. And if the fancy strikes you, drop us a question at our official email address. We hope to hear from you. Next week, we'll have the complete interview with K1 legend Stefan Lecco. So we hope you'll check that out as well. All right. We'll catch you next time 